Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. And um, all right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to, let's go with Luke 19. We're going to read kind of a a fair amount of of the scriptures today and and hop around a a little bit. Just uh, earlier this week, I was dropping my my daughter off. Our kids go to multiple schools, so typically my wife takes two of them, and then I take our, our oldest daughter, and I'm dropping her off, and if you know me at all, you know that I'm always late or always near late. I just haven't figured that out yet in life and probably won't. So I'm on the way to to drop her off to school. It's always this hectic rushing thing. And I pull into the the, the pull through lane over here at Lincoln Elementary School. And there's one car in front of me. And we're going to make it like just in the nick of time so that I don't have to go into the office. That's the real like key for me. I don't care as much about my daughter and whether or not she's on time. I just don't want to have to go in. And so I succeeded with my part, except there was a better parent than me in front of me, and they were doing what you're supposed to do. She got out of the car and she was going to go like sign the late form because she was late. As she gets out of the car, she leaves the doors open. Uh, a few other cars come in behind. So now I'm boxed in because to the right is the sidewalk, to the left is this island creating the, the pull-through lane. And it was really interesting. She walked in, the officer that helps people cross, cross the street and whatnot to get kids into the school comes walking up because the doors of this car are open and there's a line. And he looks in and sees that nobody's in the car at the front of the line. And so he looks at me like through the windshield from about 20 feet away and he just goes like this. Like, I don't know what that crazy lady's thinking. And then he approaches me and I can like see this apprehension in his face as he's coming to talk to me and my window's open and he goes, hey, I don't know what she's doing. And I'm like, I've been there quite a few times. She's, uh, she's walking her kid in because she's late and it's not a big deal. It'll be just fine. We'll sit here a few minutes and then we'll go on our way. And he was shocked. I kid you not. Like you could see in a millisecond, his body posture changed. He took a deep breath. He just seemed better. And in my mind, there's probably one of two things happening. Either I have a look like I'm just going to be really angry all the time, and that's what he was expecting, or I think what was more likely was that the cultural norm for us as humans, when an interruption causes this, this friction, this moment, this hindrance between like our pathway or our timing or our values or whatever it is. What our common pattern is, is to react in a negative, probably angry, emotional way. And I think he probably, through experience and a pattern of seeing these things happen again and again, thought that I would be angry and take it out on him, though he had nothing to do with it. Based on his kind of emotions and interactions, that's my guess of what the normal response in his life probably looked like. Which on one hand, is just really sad if you, if you think about it. And it's intriguing to think about. This week I spent kind of a good amount of time and had a lot of fun, actually. I don't say that about sermon prep all the time. But this week was fun looking at how Jesus handled interruptions. 
And it was really fascinating. That's typically not the main point. Like you don't, you're not gonna find a subtitle or a section that says how Jesus handled interruptions. There's usually something more significant, a primary teaching point happening. However, it's, it's really enjoyable actually. We can learn a lot when we look at the secondary things, the patterns and rhythms of who Jesus was as a human and as God in everyday stuff of life moments like the ones we have. And so we're in this series where we're looking at what it means to be loved by Jesus, what that actually means, and what it looks like to actually love like Jesus. And we'll do that today specifically through this kind of lens of interruptions. Back to uh, this, this pull-through lane. I happened that day to be lucky or blessed enough to be sort of chill and not angry as that guy expected. Not because I'm a great person, but I think because I was still in control over my schedule and calendar that day. I wasn't rushing to the next meeting. I wasn't uh, late to, to be with somebody. I had a lot to do that day, but those three minutes weren't going to kill me. Now, if it was any other day, maybe there's a good chance I probably would have reacted not so well because control would have been ripped out of my hands. When that lady walked out, the doors are open, I'm stuck with cars uh, in front of and behind me and I can't go anywhere. That means I am not in a place of control anymore. And our natural human, maybe American at least, cultural reaction is to get upset when we're not in control. I think when we look at the life of Jesus and our lives, this, this statement I think is, is true. Our reaction to interruptions in life likely is tied to how tightly we grasp for control. I'll read that one more time. Our reaction to interruptions in life likely is tied to how tightly we grasp for control. I think that's a truth for how Jesus handled interruptions. I think it's true for how we handle interruptions. And if you look at the life of Jesus, he had all kinds of interruptions. Interruptions to his meal schedule. There's times he went very hungry because so many people wanted to be around him. Interruptions to the conversations he was having, relationships he was building. Jesus had goals and things to achieve, just like us. Sometimes as we're bigger, like saving the world, and that got interrupted. He had travel itinerary plans that got interrupted. And it's, it's really fascinating to actually observe how he handled those interruptions. So we're going to look at five or six different examples and just dive into the, the scriptures together. We'll start in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today I must stay at your house. Now there's a lot happening here culturally and kind of the, the main theme of this passage. But I want to point out just a couple things. It says he was a chief tax collector and he was very rich. And so that's meaningful. What that means is that he had a lot of assets to manage. Wealth is a good thing and he had to manage it. It doesn't manage itself. Also, he was not just any tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, which means he was a leader of leaders. And tax collectors at the day were kind of like this, this crime circle. Like he was in charge of getting rich off of the poor. 
And he had to manage that system and all the people within it because if he didn't, he would lose his wealth and they would lose theirs and people would probably die because the Roman Empire wouldn't be happy about not getting enough money. And so this is a busy man who's curious about this Jesus and and comes alongside to see and then he experiences this interruption. Not a huge interruption, but it's an interruption nonetheless when he came to observe and then just in this moment, Jesus calls him out and says, hey, up in the tree. Look down here. I need to come to your house today. Continue in, uh, in verse 6. So Zacchaeus quickly came down and welcomed Jesus joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. While for Zacchaeus, this was a welcomed interruption. He was interested in Jesus. Think about how significant the interruption actually was in his life. Jesus interrupting while he was up in that tree and demanding that he must stay at his house that very day wasn't a single day interruption. What it led to was some really, challenge, uh, really significant challenges for Zacchaeus. It caused him, compelled by the Spirit, no doubt, to go to all of these people who he had wronged in order to become very wealthy and to seek their forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever sought the forgiveness of somebody else that you've wronged. We should be doing that as a church. It's a great practice, but it's hard to do. It's not comfortable. It's not something you look forward to doing. And so that's a pretty significant interruption in the life of Zacchaeus. And it didn't just cost him his time and kind of awkwardness and a little bit of relational turmoil. He then committed to giving back, not the amount that he took, but four times that amount. This interruption was costly financially as well for Zacchaeus. And here's Jesus' words, that he, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. And sometimes when Jesus finds somebody that's lost, he interrupts their life and leads them to something way better than they could ever imagine. Sometimes, like for Zacchaeus, that's a welcomed interruption, even if it's out of the blue. Sometimes it's an unwelcomed interruption, but nonetheless, it's good and healthy and right. Let's fast forward or excuse me, rewind one chapter. We're going to go to Luke 18, just a little while before this interaction with Zacchaeus. I want to read in verse 15. Some people were even bringing infants to Jesus so he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus, however, invited them. Let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The disciples seemingly were doing the right thing. Jesus was a pretty important guy at this point. He'd been healing people. He's on this world-saving mission. He's casting out demons. He's rebuking abusive religious and political leaders. Everybody wants to follow him and get to know Jesus. And so his disciples are this kind of barrier for him. He doesn't have time to, to handle little children. He's got bigger and better, more important things to do. His time is valuable. His disciples get that. And then Jesus goes, no. Bring them here. Welcome those little kids. 
He wasn't going to change his plans and his concerns, but he was willing to postpone them to invest in the lives of those who could offer him nothing in those moments. How often do we invest in the lives of those who can't offer us anything in the moment? How often do we let those people interrupt our lives and our plans and our pathways and our wishes and our desires? But here's Jesus on the way to save the world, literally. And he goes, no, even though everyone's telling me I don't have time for those little ones, I do. Fast forward just a a few verses to verse 35 in, in chapter 18, and we read this. As he drew near Jericho, so now Jesus is on his way to this divine appointment he has with Zacchaeus that he probably knows about, that Zacchaeus does not know about. He's on his way to to really change not only Zacchaeus' life, but think about all the people that Zacchaeus has stolen from. Think about the systemic shift that the chief tax collector, a person of great influence and leadership, is about to have his life changed, and that's going to have this domino effect to change so many other people's lives in that community. Jesus is on his way for that. He entered Jericho, or he's on his way to Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, the blind man inquired what it all meant. They said, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. So he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Listen to this verse. Then those in front told him to keep quiet. Why? Just like the disciples told the parents that the children were not welcome. So the people on the road go, hey, you're not a worthy interruption for this Jesus. Do you not hear? We know you can't see, but do you not hear the crowd? Do you not hear all the people that want to hear from Jesus and see him and learn from him and experience what all this hustle and bustle and drama is about, about this man named Jesus from Nazareth? Don't make it about you. You're not a worthy interruption. They tell him to be quiet, and I love his reaction. We should learn from this blind man. But he kept crying out all the more. We could interpret that. He just kept interrupting the moments. Son of David, have mercy on me. I love these two words. Jesus stopped. One of the things that we can learn about Jesus even when he's on a really important mission, again, to save the world, has a divine appointment with Zacchaeus, Jesus will stop to dive right into the beautiful mess of what is concerning us in that moment. Jesus stopped and commanded that the man be brought to him. When he drew near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And all of the significance of Jesus' life and mission at that time He had time to stop, to hush the crowd, to have that man come before him and to simply ask, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Instantly he could see and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. There's a a few patterns I think we can learn from just these connected two chapters where there's quite a few interruptions that happen in just kind of a daily walk Jesus is having. First is this. We see a pattern in the scriptures of Jesus postponing his concerns and plans to meet us in the middle of our 
concerns. Think about that for a second. Whatever's going on in your world, sometimes we can be like, I'm praying to the almighty God of the universe who has to or gets to hear the prayers and questions and concerns and fears of all of these other people. And in that moment, we can know that this God hears and listens and that Jesus stops whatever's going on because he can, because he's in control to step right into the middle of our concerns and questions and confusions. We also see in the life of Zacchaeus that to be loved by Jesus means there will be times Jesus interrupts our lives to lead us to a deeper good. To be loved by Jesus means there's going to be times in our lives. For Zacchaeus, it was a welcomed interruption. As I said earlier, sometimes it will be an unwelcomed interruption. But to be loved by Jesus means there's going to be times that he interrupts our lives to lead us into a deeper good. Whether or not we see it as a deeper good at the moment, it always will be because he's trustworthy always, no matter the moment. Let's look at another example. If you turn to to John chapter 2, just a a few pages forward in your Bibles, we'll begin reading in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. Think about this next sentence. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? I cannot fathom saying that to my mother. Like, I don't think it would go well. What does this concern of yours have to do with me, woman? Now, in the the language difference leading us to this English translation we have today. There's a lot happening, so it's not actually as rude as it comes across. But the point is the point nonetheless. He goes, this concern of yours is not my priority right now. He literally says that next. He says, the hour, my time, has not yet come. Think about that. Jesus, again, he's starting his mission right now, if you want to call it that, to go save the world. Yes, save the world. His mom's like, hey, there's not enough wine. You'd think he'd be like, I got some more important problems, mom. But look what happens next. She says, do whatever he tells you. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. When the chief servant tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then, after people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus performed this first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, while this wasn't a concern for Jesus in this moment, it was a real concern for his mother because she was involved in this wedding. Maybe it was a close relative or a distant relative or a close friend is kind of the picture we're given. But, but to run out of wine at a wedding in this day and age wasn't just to be like, hey, the, the party's over. It was a massive social moment that would be remembered probably for always. Like, you really messed up. 
It would be talked about. It would be this degrading social reality and connection. And so the mom is actually concerned. And while it's not the priority for Jesus going to save the world, he postpones his concerns to enter into his mother's concerns and maybe of his relatives or friends and meet them in that moment. That's pretty spectacular when you think about it. Why would Jesus be okay with this? In the the middle of being on this mission, again, to save the world, why would God embrace our concerns and postpone his own? Again, he's God. I think he has bigger fish to fry and problems to solve. Everyone around him knew that. That's why people frequently tried to stop interruptions, interrupting people from getting to Jesus. Yet Jesus seems to welcome those interruptions and handle them really well. Why? Again, I think it comes down to control. Put it this way. Jesus was okay getting interrupted because Jesus knew he was in control over time and all things. Again, there's this direct correlation, I I think, between how a person reacts when they experience any type of interruption to your plans, to your dreams, in the midst of a conversation, to your financial reality. There's a connection to how we respond when there's an interruption and to how deeply we feel like we need to grasp onto control. And Jesus doesn't feel a need to grasp onto control fully, why? because he's fully in control no matter what happens. So here's what that that means, I think, then for us. We can be okay getting interrupted, not because we are in control, but because we know the one who is in control over time and all things, and he loves us. It's not that we can trust ourselves, but we can trust Jesus who is in control even when things present interruptions in our lives. So that can change how we react. I think that's the option we should choose instead of grasping more tightly and more tightly and searching and searching and working and working for greater control. We actually release control and choose to trust Jesus. That's going to greatly impact how we react when inevitable interruptions of small variety or a large significant variety happen in our lives. Jesus certainly has a pattern in the scriptures of responding Uh, to interruptions in ways that really positively and significantly impact the people in his life. I think that's something we can expect. But that doesn't mean that we then should treat Jesus Jesus as our own personal genie whenever we have a a fleeting desire we want to present to him. Even his disciples, I think, got uh, clearly distracted by this. And I don't know how they wouldn't. You'd watch all of these incredible things happen. Jesus provide, Jesus heal, he can do whatever he wants. At some point, his disciples get caught up in that moment, and they're like, hey, you know what? It'd probably be poor stewardship to not take advantage of this moment. And we have God doing God-like things here. So maybe we should take this as an opportunity. I want to read about this moment in Mark chapter 10 verse 35 to you. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you, which I think is just a spectacular way to start. We want you to do something for you if we ask you. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I love that. I didn't even realize that till I was up here last service, but you notice that's just the second time that Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It's kind of a patient response. He knows what's going to happen, but he's patient enough to sit down, to listen, to go, what do you want me to do for you? 
They answered him, allow us to sit at your right and your left and your glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those it has been prepared for. When the other 10 disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them and their men of high positions exercise power over them. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Once we experience the love and trustworthiness of Jesus, it should change what our first request to Jesus is. It should change how we ask for things and how we view Jesus from our personal genie in a bottle because he's our personal savior to an unbelievable counselor and guide to what is good and whole and right and true and noble in life. You can think about it this way. I think our first request, our first prayer should shift to something like this. Jesus, concern me with what you want me to be concerned with and free me from all other concerns. That matches the Lord's prayer Jesus models. Our Father in heaven, then we get to this, your kingdom come and your will be done. Another way to say that is concern me with what you want me to be concerned about. And not I'll ignore the rest, but help me to let the rest fade and to trust what you present to me as important to be important. Then when we interrupt Jesus, we can be confident in how we're interrupting him because the starting place was not about us, but it's about the concerns that God has put in our lives. There's another key, almost side note, but I think it's pretty critical uh, for how Jesus handled interruptions. There's this moment, there's actually multiple, where he and his disciples are hungry, they're exhausted, they've been going at it for days without a break. And so Jesus at one point looks at his disciples and goes, hey, you need to rest. We need to to take a quick break because we're human. And so they plan on it. They go to this other part of the lake. And uh, along the the journey, people get word of where they're going to be. So they actually beat them there. The crowd gets there before Jesus. And I can imagine the disciples kind of in this boat, getting close, seeing a crowd's already there, being like, man, this was really great at first. It was fun. We were popular. Everyone wanted to be where we were. But it's kind of getting a little bit old. And then here's Jesus, and he looks out at the crowd compassionately. He teaches, he heals, he meets them right where they're at and in the midst of another interruption. But then it does stop. I think that's really key. After that, Jesus ensures that he and his disciples get away, that he has time to rest. He goes up on a mountain and he prays, he rests, he rejuvenates. The disciples have the opportunity to do the same. We're called to dive just like Jesus does, to welcome and embrace interruptions. But we also have to have the wisdom and discernment to know that We're not called to be the savior of the world to everyone that has an interrupting problem at all times because we can't. And so Jesus went away. Jesus had wisdom and discernment on how to handle these interruptions. And I think that's something we have to to learn from. One last example, back to to John chapter six, 
verse 1 through 9. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked us to test them, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Then Jesus said, have the people sit down. Think about this for, for just a moment. We kind of glance over this if you've ever read this account before. And we go like, oh, what Jesus does next is so cool. But before it was so cool, what Jesus would do and providing for others, Jesus took the lunch from some boy. Like, think about that. Like, we don't know what or how hard his parents worked to provide the bread and the fish. And this boy didn't know what Jesus was going to do. This boy just showed up and he's there and he's got lunch. And some disciple of Jesus goes, hey, that boy's got some food. Jesus is like, cool, bring that here. That's a pretty big interruption, right? And if you're that boy's parents, what are you thinking? This boy's lunch plans are interrupted and we just pause and we don't know what's next. We do, they didn't. But we continue to read, Jesus said, after the people sit down, there was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. This all started with Jesus interrupting some boy's lunch plans. Honestly, think about that. Boy didn't know what was going to happen. I assume that was pretty inconvenient, and if I was the boy, I would have questions, or maybe not be happy. Here's here's the point with that. Embracing spirit-led interruptions often leads to immense real stuff-of-life impact. Are we embracing the interruptions that the Spirit speaks or leads or causes to come into our way. What if the boy didn't say, yeah, you can have my lunch, Jesus? Because often when the Spirit interrupts us in these ways, we don't know what's going to happen next. But if we deemed that Jesus is worthy of trusting even in those moments when we don't really understand what he's doing, Tessa and I were talking about all these interruptions earlier in the week as I was kind of just skimming through the Gospels and, and studying. And she, she brought up how last week her and her husband Patrick were grabbing dinner one night downtown. And then after dinner, they were walking back home. And as they were walking back home, there, there was a man who was maybe homeless who interrupted them and wanted them to stop their walk. You know how, how that goes, perhaps. And, and Tessa's a really friendly person. She loves interacting with people, talking with people, going to parties. She's extroverted. Like, she likes this. Patrick, on the other hand, 
doesn't like that too much. He's highly introverted. Uh, they're like polar opposites in this way. And Tessa told me as this guy interrupted them on the way home, she was just like, just like nah, I'm not feeling this right now, especially because the guy just wanted to perform a magic show for them. So she just wanted to get home after dinner. And Patrick was like, no. And he decided to stay and engage, to uh, embrace the interruption of this seemingly homeless guy who wanted to do a magic show. And so Tessa and Patrick sat there and watched the guy do his magic show. They gave him a little bit of money after, had a conversation, and then this guy offered them a slice of pizza that apparently somebody from the previous showing offered to him, and they politely declined. And it's just this small little moment. But I wonder in any given day, how many small little interruptions are there? And I'm not going to over-spiritualize it like God was telling them, stay there and watch the magic show. I don't know. But could there have been an impact? What are the other small, little, maybe seemingly insignificant interruptions that are presented to us? Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to feel what God wants us to see and hear and feel just in case the Spirit wants us to embrace that interruption? Or are we so consumed with our own values and desires and pathways that we're not okay being interrupted? Ironically, Tessa is calling me right now. I don't know why. Nate, will you go check on that? <laughs> um, this, this week we went over to, to someone's house for dinner and two years ago, I think this past Thursday or right around there, uh, they experienced something really significant. Their oldest daughter uh, was, was having some health concerns and it started out like, hey, let's just go to the doctor and kind of look into this. But one morning, it, it turned very quickly when their daughter's breathing was uh, very irregular. And so they got advice and were told to, to go to the hospital uh, right away, go to the emergency room. And so they did. And then there's this kind of, I imagine, I wasn't there, but shocking, abrupt shift in life as they needed to go down to Phoenix to the hospital with their oldest daughter. Their two youngest boys needed to be given or taken by other family members who would watch them without any time for explanation of what was happening with their older sister. Like, this just all had to happen. They go down to Phoenix for five days at Phoenix Children's Hospital where their, their daughter was diagnosed with diabetes. And so in that moment, their life changed substantially, not just for five days and school was off, work was off, their kids needed to have someone else take care of them for that period of time. But from that moment forward, their oldest daughter would have to get used to multiple interruptions every single day with a needle to get a shot. They'd have to get used to a lot of interruptions every single day of monitoring everything she consumed to ensure she would be healthy. That was significant. And so they invite us over for dinner this week. And on the way there, uh, our kids were asking about what was happening. They always ask if we go to someone's house or if we have someone over, is there something special happening, like watching a son's game or something? They think that's what will usually be the case. And, and so it's weird that there's no purpose. And so they ask and Chelsea, my wife, is explaining to the kids that it had been two years since Millie had been diagnosed uh, with 
with diabetes. And so we get there and it's just this beautiful, almost summer night, sitting around the campfire, eating hot dogs and s'mores. And then at one point, Aaron and Britt kind of had all the kids around and were there. And then just paused. Like it wasn't this formal ceremony, but it was this really sweet and meaningful pause in the night to give thanks, to practice gratitude, that it had been two years since Jesus met them in the middle of a substantial interruption in their lives. And it was such a cool learning moment for me. What a way with your kids to guide and teach them to trust Jesus always, no matter the moment, and to demonstrate that Jesus meets us in the midst of life's craziest, sometimes good, sometimes just hard, sometimes confusing interruptions. And so they talked about it. And then after we talked about the reality that it's not that long ago, it's not been that many years from from a time when that would have been a deeply, seriously life-threatening reality. That's a lot to be thankful for, that Jesus is the provider of technology and progress and and human engineering and guidance and opportunity. And so it was a really beautiful moment to go on a small scale. You could be walking home from dinner and be interrupted by a perhaps homeless person that wants to do a magic show. That's okay. You might have a much more serious and significant interruption at any moment. And when we see that Jesus meets us even in those interruptions. Like for Jesus, interruptions will be a part of our lives. We can interrupt Jesus. We saw that pattern. And he almost always responds really, really well. We'll probably be interrupted by Jesus in welcomed or unwelcomed ways. But we can know that he's leading us to a deeper good when he interrupts us. And there's going to be other people that interrupt us in our lives. My hope and, and prayer for us as a people of Restoration Church is that we can learn to practice the posture of Jesus in interruptions. So I think that has a lot of meaning. The more we grasp for control, the worse our reactions will be. The more we give up control and have a posture that trusts Jesus in those moments, beautiful things can happen. Jesus interrupting a boy's lunch fed more than 5,000. That's wild. You never know what one interruption's gonna do. I'd love to wrap up our time today reading from uh, Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11. And as we close, I actually wanna have us all read this out loud together. I think there's such beauty and power in reading the scriptures, and I think it's increased. There's something uh, really significant about a church body being able to proclaim the truths of scriptures together in one voice. So if you're able and and willing, if you'd stand, um, you don't have to, but if you can, I think that'd be great. And I'd love to just close uh, this time together reading the scripture out loud. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. 
Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thanks again for joining us. We hope this teaching was both encouraging and also challenging, um, helping us to just continue to grow in both our trust for Jesus and learning what it means to practice his way. If you'd like to partner with us, first is prayer. I mean, we deeply value the people of God joining us in prayer as we seek his kingdom and hunger for wisdom on how to best lead in the context that Jesus has called us. Um, So if you could be praying for us, that would be massive. The second is serving. If you are looking for a church family um, to plug into, we would love to connect with you. And the third uh, is through giving. Jesus has been so generous in providing a wonderful space in downtown Prescott, Arizona um, to really be a light for this city and to love its people well. And if you call Restoration Church home again or um, just would like to partner with us financially, you can do that by going to restorationaz.org and click the giving tab in the menu options there. So thanks again. And in closing, I just want to remind us, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.